welcome to episode 40 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And uh, Daz, I just speaking to you off air, I've taken off for a week and the whole NBA world's been turned on its head. Uh, we've got literally about 10 different stories, major stories across the league to cover uh, from the last week. But, but how have you been, first of all? How was your Australia Day and, and have you had a good little break across a long weekend? I've gone from average temp of minus 31 to plus 36. So, yeah, it's been it's been sweaty and good. And you're right, my two weeks away were nothing compared to the fireworks that have been going on in the league since you've been away. So, oh, I couldn't yeah. believe it. Like we had when you went away, I think James Harden tweaked his hamstring. That was pretty much everything that happened. <laughs> then I went away. Coaches get fired. The Spurs are in uh, are in the news. The Cavs are in turmoil. Not that that's anything new. Uh, and then you actually sent me a text about a bit of news the other day. And I know when I get a text from you, it must be serious. So I look straight away. So that was another story about, the, of course, the Boogie Cousins injury, which we will talk about. So what I'm going to do, with Daz, is I'm going to to throw the headline out to you. I want to get your hot takes on some of the big things that happened. And of course, the first thing that really broke basically as soon as I set up my campsite was Jason Kidd <laughs> getting fired uh, from Milwaukee Bucks. Look, we, we'd spoken about it, uh, I believe even on our last pod we might have touched on it. I mean, this has been coming, but what, what was your initial reactions and uh, what, what's your sort of, I guess, reaction now that you've seen a few games about Jason Kidd and looking forward now for the franchise? My reaction was equal parts. I, I didn't believe they could do it in the middle of the season. So I was genuinely surprised at the timing. I was also, I was sort of in the camp of still wondering, does he, is he still a protected species by the owners? And so those two factors for me thought the timing was dubious. Um, but then an enormous sense of relief that, um, that they do have a pulse of the team and that, we, the Bucks hardcores, that we're not crazy. Like, we, we are not crazy when we see the stack of evidence about the coaching, the rotations, the minutes, the, you know, he locked, he basically puts people in dog houses, da 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 da. That list is long, and we, I, I have a lot of faith now that, that that laundry list of stuff has been made. I guess that was made, um, they saw the implications of it to, to be so fed up to make the move. So equal parts, actually surprised it happened mid-season, but relief that we none of us are, I guess the hardcores, we're not crazy. Um, the reality of that, though, the impact is, right, when you fire your coach mid-season, that, that's fucked up, right? That means you've made some horrible decisions in the off-season. We also heard hints that they had rumbling of firing him in the summer, but because they probably botched the GM stuff, that they didn't do it, so it feels like a bit of a lost season, so... Well, yes, there's relief. It's also an acknowledgement that, man, these last seven months have been, uh, aside from Giannis and some player development on the court, a disaster in the front office for Milwaukee. So that being said, no one's going to lose any sleep. I'm not going to bore you to tears or anyone listening. You can listen to Dunk or Danny or anyone telling you the 50 stupid things that kid does. He's gone. He's burned bridges. No one cares. He's gone. Now we've got a little uh, Greg Popovich protege, uh, <laughs> interim coaching the team, and in his first press conference, it was a breath of fresh air. Now, yes, we are buoyed, and it's going to be it's going to be different. 
uh, for us, right, compared to Kidd, who just never said anything. But Joe Prunty um, was under pop for nine years, was there on the sidelines for three championships, um, was actually there. I wouldn't say he took many lessons from Avery Johnson, but he's also made another NBA Finals, which they lost with Dallas against Miami in 06. So he's got he's been there, right? He's been there and seen it. And he's precise. He is specific. He talks about actual things they're going to work on. And he's revealing, right? He's at least has a positive relationship with the press. And is, he gives credit, right? He doesn't insult the fan base and the media constantly the way Kid did. Kid always thought he was the smartest kid on the block. And so he's going to insult you by, you know, stuff that makes no sense. So Prunty is straight to the point. And, yep, they've won three games. They're 3-0. and But, look, it was Phoenix. Um, Phoenix, Phoenix, and Phoenix, it feels like. It was three three not-so-great teams. The Bulls, they finally got some revenge on the Bulls. And who else did they smother? Brooklyn, I think it was. So they've three pretty convincing Ws. But, um, for me, the, the number one signal was uh, the one metric about, yeah, they're not going to really – changed dramatic schemes or anything but they've changed the rotations that's for sure so sterling brown for example is getting lots of minutes which is great um but in terms of how they're performing uh the stat for me for the three games is the bucks were assisting on 58 percent of their made field goals up in the kid era this year and the last three games again micro micro sample set but it's passing the eye test they're assisting on 68 percent of their made field goals so the ball's moving right so the rotations are different and the balls are moving, which means it's a lot of less ISO ball. So um, kid's gone. No one in Milwaukee's going to miss him. We're not going to remember a damn thing about him um, probably in about 15 minutes. And Prunty, we don't know, right? I think the Bucks are going to want to make a bigger splash and do a proper big search in the offseason. And, you know, lots of names are going to get thrown out from your another pop guy, Messina, and you know, is this is Giannis the guy to get Jeff Van Gundy, you know, off of the you know off of the bench, that sort of thing. So we'll have months to speculate, but for now, look, they're probably the expectations are like back to normal. Like they're probably they got a talent for a four seed in the East, right? In the you know the weaker conference, it's probably what their talent base is, and at least we're kind of resetting to that expectation. Now we're like, yeah, you know, they can go out and win 46 games, and we'll be okay, and we'll see how it goes against in the first round. Yeah, I think you could do worse than Joe Prenti. I mean, this is a guy that's been a long-time assistant coach around the league, so you figure that he's going to be ready for a head coaching role at some stage, whether that's that's this or not, but at least he gives him an audition, even if it's not for this job, for something else. Uh, I, I guess the thing from Milwaukee's point of view is, this could go two ways there, Daz. I'm... I'm a little bit concerned, I'm not sure how concerned you are about the the way Giannis has looked on that knee in the last couple of games. Hasn't looked quite as springy to me uh, as he did earlier on in the season, and he's already had a couple of games off with it. Uh, I'd be interested to see how they manage that, I guess. What, what's your expectations on how they manage Giannis from a physical point of view for the rest of the season? I think that um, those of us who aren't the, the Bucks physicians, I think we genuinely have we genuinely have no idea if it's just what's going on. Right? So remember, this goes back to the summer league and him being excused from the Greek team for quote unquote knee soreness, and that sort of put the poor Greek team in a massive furor, and they you know cried foul to the NBA and all this sort of stuff. So um, 
this has been going on now for, I guess, seven, eight months, this quote unquote knee pain. But, um, so I don't think we genuinely know what, what it actually feels like or what the ailment is. That's, is it any different than what 90% of the NBA players feel, you know, in terms of bumps and bruises? I generally don't know, Daz. The, the thought process, right? He's number one or two close. He's in the top five in NBA minutes played. Um, but he, he's also been sat three times. So the kid approach or the kid and their medical staff approach was Giannis is going to sit once a month, basically. So literally by the clock, you know, it's end of November, end of December, this mid-January. He's missed three games this season, uh, basically one month apart. That was their way to heal him up and rest him up. Oh, and I so, guess that's what I'm getting at. Do you expect to, are his minutes going to drop, do you think? Or is it going to still be give him the occasional game off, but he's still going to be playing up the high 30s, up to 40 minutes? Because that was some of the stories coming out of the Bucks front office. They weren't very happy with the amount of minutes that Giannis was playing, and there was a bit of concern there. Look, kid's been kid's been riding the starters, but it's not quite Thibodeau bad. Look, I know him and Middleton are way up there in minutes played. That is true. Um, maybe it's a symptom of kid right, trying to coach for his job, right? Trying to, you know, uh, forget the bench and, and trying to win basketball games. I, I tend to be someone who uh, I'm not as concerned about. You know, really, unless someone shows me some really really compelling data that if you move Giannis from 37 minutes a game or 37.2 minutes to 36 minutes, is that he'll drop down to like 10th in the league in minutes. But does that make a difference to his longevity and his performance? I don't know, Daz. But I think that's probably more likely what we're going to see is a little bit more extended rest. Um, we saw him very new ro- a new thing for us, uh, a new rotation, Giannis with the entire second unit. We haven't seen the entire season. So you had Giannis out there with Sterling Brown and Thon and Jason Terry and the rest of it. And we go, wow, okay, that's different. So he sat really early in the first quarter. Like he played the first five or six minutes and then sat and came back very late first quarter and played the second quarter with the second unit. And that team and that unit did really, really well. So I think more, I don't know, right? I don't know if it's going to be specifically get him from 37 to 35 minutes a game. And or if Prunty just says, hey, look, for us to win basketball games, we need different rotations. And Giannis with that second unit looked really fucking good. So I think this might go hand in hand where he plays different shifts and maybe that gets his minutes down. But I'm I'm genuinely not worried about this knee. I think it's a I think it's a oh, you know, I think it's pain. Right. I don't think it's a strain or a cartilage issue or anything structural, but. Well, last question on this. Do we see Jason Kidd again? Because the, I, I hate to tell you this, but there are reports he, that Phoenix are looking at him for their head coach role next year. So he may very well leave your Eastern Conference team and jump straight to your Western Conference team. Look, it would stand to reason that he's going to have to find a franchise that is in worse. It's in a worse situation with ignorant ownership and or... No, I'm not joking. It's He will have to end up in Sacramento... Phoenix or perhaps Cleveland when that fucking house of cards <laughs> falls apart. I, I just, but he's awful. He's indignant. He's stubborn. And again, I don't want to, I could, I could literally consume 40 minutes of the things that he's done wrong as a coach. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me, right? We've seen, we've seen coaches pop up time and time again, but it wouldn't surprise me. And 
you know, good luck, Robert Sarver, if that's well, the way you go. At the end of the day, the, the one of the big problems is Kitty's just not a nice guy. And if you're not, and, and that's fine. Some people get away with Phil Jackson did for years. But when you're not a nice guy, you need to have the results behind you and, you, and your rope's going to be that little bit shorter. And I feel like that's well, part of the, what the problem was when you burn as many bridges as what he did uh, with front office media and even some of the players. Uh, you're always going to be on a shorter leash. The, the tombstone for kid will be he's not a nice guy but that's a symptom of him he right he's a frick, he's a freaking hall of fame player right he he still he's still like the coach who wants to get in the game so he still fucks with his players and insults them and always is smarter than them and there's all kinds of reports you've had about him in film in the film sessions with players asking them questions that he knows they don't know the answer and then you know just making players feel stupid so he's like that expert who's a horrible, horrible teacher because he's perhaps so smart about what has to happen on the court. He's a horrible teacher and a horrible motivator and a horrible communicator. And that makes him an, that makes him look like an asshole because he thinks he's so fucking smart because he probably is. He's just a horrible, horrible teacher. That's effectively what's happened to kid. So well, booting up, booting up on your wife makes you look like an asshole too. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Now, so I think our, our trying to get syndicated by ESPN Australia, we've thrown that vision out the window. <laughs> hey, we keep it real. We keep it real. So, you, you mentioned one team that's a bit of a dumpster fire at the moment. I don't, I don't mean to spend too much time on this because we seem to talk. This, this is just a circular conversation. But we had the conversation earlier in the year about the Cleveland Cavaliers. I said to you, well, "Where's the improvement going to come from this team? They look terrible." Here we are now. We're just approaching All Star break. They've feasted on the bad teams in the NBA, which we something we touched on last time we talked. They're four and six now in their last ten. They've had a couple of wins over Indiana and, and Detroit. Detroit are in free fall. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. But there were stories about a team meeting that came out. Kevin Love got picked on there. Isaiah Thomas in the media today saying he's he's sick of being picked on for their bad defense. Saying where well, our defense was terrible before I came into the lineup. It's not my fault that we're defending bad. A lot of finger pointing going on in Cleveland. Uh, not much effort going on certainly on the defensive end. Where, where do you see this going, Daz? I mean, is the Eastern Conference wide open now? Oh. Um, put the hourglass on this one. Um, and not to mention, they got extremely fucking lucky in the game they won against the Magic, right? To kind of stem the bleeding. Um, oh, that was that, that yeah, was one of I that mean, was highway robbery, highway that robbery, was <laughs> referees, and just so anyway. Um, uh, okay, uh, uh, is the East open? Yes, it's definitely more open than it was a month ago. It's back to when we were putting sticky notes on the television to, to find how many, to find the numbers of holes you could drive trucks through on the, on the Cavaliers, you know, red carpet invitation to the rim. You know, so we're back to that 29th ranked defense in the league. We are back. They're only better than Sacramento, and you could be amputees and be better than Sacramento, mm. right? So that is that is dreadful. That's dreadful. So that looks very, very real, Dad. So the stuff you and I saw in November is very, very real here at the end of the January. That, for me, is the, is the greatest warning sign. Number two, they overcame that last year by almost historically brilliant offensive play, right? How is that happening this year? With no Kyrie Irving, 
with Jay Crowder, who's having the worst season of his career, with Kevin Love, who uh, I, I might be – am I the only person on Kevin Love Island? I think this guy's had the fucking worst – could you have a guy with the worst – a, a, a worse job description than what Kevin Love has had the last few years. Um, anyway, uh, hey, Kev, now play center. And, oh, by the way, you're going to play center on a team who, number one, has no defensive rebounding, number two, has no wing athleticism, and number three, has no one who can defend point guards. Now, you know what? You've been a stretch for your career. Now play center. Great. Good luck with that. Hmm. Oh, and be happy. And if you ever get a cold, we're going to fucking come down on you like a ton of bricks if you ever get sick. So I go, I think that's very real the beating that Kevin Love has taken, and he hasn't said a fucking word. So I don't think enough kudos goes to Kevin Love for being a professional, for keeping his goddamn mouth shut, because I can't do it. I'm even a Cavs fan, and it pisses me off how he gets treated like a doormat um, for all the sacrificing he's done. The max guy who stands in the fucking corner to shoot three-pointers and then gets brutalized on the defensive end. So I think that's very, very real, this dynamic with Love and the team. Number three, Isaiah Thomas. We heard Brian Windhorst say it much more dramatically and much more emphatically than me. And I'll say now, I'll just repeat what Windhorst says. We have to start looking at Isaiah as a as an expiring contract. He is that bad. And it's not Isaiah. His, his hip is obviously is as bad as we thought for the extreme price we thought Boston were paying, right, to off to get Kyrie. So we remember we said we thought the injury was priced into the deal. Well, that injury is actually worse than we thought. He is, what would you say, Daz? He is even half as good as he was. He can't lift. He can't finish. He can't get around players. He's got no legs on his three. So therefore, and, oh, by the way, he's five foot nothing. He can't defend. That is an extreme. Remember we said we're going to wait on this defensive shit if they can generate an offense that can overcome it and they can just wipe away most of the East, that ain't happening. Well, when I said to you originally, I said, where's the improvement coming from? And you said, well, Isaiah Thomas comes back. And I've always had my doubts on on, on him coming back on the hip injury. And his stats are even worse than they look because he's getting a lot of bailout calls. And and look at the foul that the the phantom foul that was called at the end of the Orlando game. Right, as a case in point. But there's a lot of calls he's getting that you just go, there's not going to be much longer and they're going to realise this guy's not the star that he was and he's not going to get it. get those calls. So he's getting to the line a bit, but he's not finishing around the rim. He, he's got no lift in his shot. His, his, his shot looks awful. And he obviously he was, he was never a good defender anyway. And as, as he said himself, there is a transition process because he's used to having the ball in his hands. He doesn't have the ball in his hands now. It's more obviously going through LeBron and others. So there's a problem there, I guess, stylistically, how he fits into this team as well. And look, there's already rooms out there that they're, they're talking about trying to trade him away, but I think the secret's out now. I think people have seen what he's like. He doesn't have much value outside of that he's an expiring contract, as Brian Winters touch on. And is that horrifying, right? So I, I don't know. I, again, this would require... Well, you've essentially, just to interrupt you quickly, you've essentially April. traded Kyrie Irving for the Brooklyn pick. Like, just, just marinate on that for a second, because that's that's, that's what, what I mean, the trade that, now is. And that, that might be the number nine pick. <laughs> and as Windhorse reminded us, right, Cleveland, the worst part for the Cleveland fans is that then when they got a deep look inside the medicals, they still went through with it. 
Remember that period of time where they were asking for the additional assets? Yeah. Ainge is like, Ainge is like, yeah, I'll give you like a, you know, a year 2061 second rounder. And they go, oh, okay. And they said yes. So I go, and then th- that juxtaposed with what we heard this story about, about Pop and LMA and Lamarcus Aldridge wanting out and how they handled it versus Kyrie wanting out. And we come back to, right, as I've, you've heard me bang on for, I, I say years, like we've been going for years, but oftentimes the Encore product is a function of the alignment and strategies of ownership and front office and the Cleveland Cavaliers problems. You can stem back to Dan Gilbert being Dan Gilbert and having an axe to grind against David Griffin and the instability that Dan Gilbert created in the front office by letting him play on a lame, letting him play, letting David Griffin work on a lame duck contract and then letting the fucking thing expire and then not negotiating in good faith and letting him basically letting him go, right? That instability, we can only conjecture, but Windhorst reinforced what you and I were talking about whilst it was occurring is when you create a void of leadership in the summer, right? In the off season, when every, you know, every quote unquote, you know, illegal conversation is happening, you create yourself, um, you put yourself in a horrible situation. So I have, I have every reason to believe that, um, that were uh, David Griffin treated like a professional and valued the way he should have perhaps been valued in Cleveland, even if it was just a one-year extension, right, at the All-Star break, so he could see this thing through and and coincide his tenure with LeBron's tenure. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I think we can only suggest, but my goodness, they probably have a different on-court product, don't they, Daz? So, so for me, that the whole Isaiah and on the on the court, and he's worth about right. Is he just worth an expiring contract now? For me, has roots in Gilbert fucking with David Griffin. But you're right. Isaiah doesn't pass the analytics test. And he doesn't pass the eye test. He only passes the the good guy, give him a hug test for what he's had to endure um, the last 12 months. And it, he is not going to help the Cleveland Cavaliers win um, second round playoff games. Just He's not. And again, unless doctors tell us this is just part of the progress. And as this labrum and this thing gets better and, and heals, he's going to get his explosiveness back. But I, I've heard no, I've read no reports that that's the case. Now, how do you approach this if you're KB Altman from here? Do you just go all in on this season and say, we've got to maximize the value of this team while LeBron James is on the Cleveland Cavaliers and, if if he leaves next year and it's and it all goes to hell, so be it. Or do you say we act as though we assume he's leaving, or we wait and make those decisions in the off season? Hold on to that Nets pick. Hold on to any. Well, they don't have a lot of future assets outside of that, but even their own sort of first round picks, rather than give them away and try and go all in. So is it all in for this season, or do you sort of try and keep the future? going if LeBron does leave, but still try and strengthen the team as best you can for this season? Well, I go, what's the future? A 30-year-old Kevin Love? Uh, a one-legged Isaiah Thomas? Jeff Green? I go, what's the future? A number nine draft pick <laughs> in a three in a three or four-man draft, which is, you know, bag well, etc. Et you're not, right? you're not counting in their luck in lotteries, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, their 11th, you know, David Sternball. 
maybe silver plays a different different <laughs> brand but uh so i'm i am i am i i say that as rhetorical as to say i am absolutely short answer is yes i am a you have a frank conversation with lebron about you know here's where we're at here's what we see in terms of of a team on the court here are our scenarios that we're trying to pursue a b and c and you have to you have to kind of go here's what we're thinking and whether he quote unquote approves or not approves i don't know kobe's relationship you know to lebron specifically but my vote is yes you do it because guess what boston's vulnerable boston isn't fucking golden state warriors they're not they're vulnerable i've I watched him fucking turn the ball over 14 times in the second half. I've watched Marcus Smart ruin that second unit, right? I've watched Aaron Baines actually not be Aaron Baines, right? Mm-hmm. So I go, I'm, Boston is not a, that is not your, wow, number one seed. Oof, how are we going to do it? Toronto is probably the strongest team because they're so goddamn deep and Freddie VV career high 25 points today right they just keep finding 10th and 11 players who perform so for me toronto is the most dangerous playoff team and then we go oh fuck DeRozan and lowry in the playoffs Hmm. and their horrible tragic record washington has had problems for for me i've seen for a month i think the wheels are coming off in washington i go what's left so i go what's the future the future is 2018 so if you don't reload now then you are you're not a competitor so that's a long way of saying absolutely. This Brooklyn pick will be probably seventh. You know, they'll probably end up there sixth or seventh. There's a lot more teams. I think there's to going tank. to be team tanking below New Jersey from yep. here on. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be number nine and number ten. So I go. You know what? Who is that? Who's that valuable to? Right. Mm. So there's going to be a lot of teams who'd love that pick. And so I even moving Kevin Love. Give the, cut this guy some fucking slack, right? He's got his ring. He's he, he, so he can tick his box, got the ring and been goddamn fucking model citizen for for four years, keeping his mouth shut, which he has. Right. Um, I would move. I would see who would be interested in love. Now, I would have to stretch my mind to go who would be interested in a player like him. Um, does he have one more year left? And he's got one more year left, doesn't he? Yeah. On his deal. I'd, I'd look at I'd look at blowing it up that not blow up, but I'd look at completely reorienting a LeBron team with players that work great around LeBron, right? Which are what wing defenders and shooters, right? And that ain't Kevin Love. It ain't Isaiah Thomas. Um, it ain't fucking Jay Crowder. And it ain't the, a fictional number, number nine pick next year. So that's what I would do if I had, if I had Kobe and I had Gilbert's backing and I had the LeBron sort of blessing to make some stuff happen. Because the East is still there for the taking. I yeah, I, just, I guess the the question is where are the trade partners for them, uh, and, and the selling teams. You just sort of look at and think, well, who who have they got that's going to help um, help the Cavs? So, and I'm, and the trades have been thrown out there. Obviously, George Hill has been one name, and, and that's not going to be a massive price to bring George Hill in. That that moves the needle somewhat for them. Uh, I don't think it's the, the greatest move that they could do, but it's also not the worst move that they could come up with. It'll, it'll strengthen their defence to the point you'll certainly be a much much better defender than what Isaiah Thomas or Derek Rose have been to this point in the season. I mean, how bad is it? Jose Calderon's been their best defensive option at point guard. <laughs> I know, isn't that... Isn't and that's that not even hyperbole. That's that's the fact. No, so that that's, that's how bad it's going. And uh, Look, I think there's... I think there's... They're out there, and this is... But it's... 
look, this is more ESPN fucking trade machine, you know, sort of matching. I haven't genuinely looked at what, you know, teams are trying to do in matching salaries, but, but, you know, Kevin Love likes California, right? The LA Clippers are not going anywhere. DeAndre Jordan's not going to be resigned. So what the money is pretty good question mark. Is there a deal? Is there a deal to be had for a, I don't know, pick for a, a, a deal centered around DeAndre Jordan, uh, Kevin Love, and maybe in return you get a, I don't know, a, a Willie Reed and a, right, a, a Sam Decker or whatever, or God dare I say Lou Williams. Kevin Cleveland has to probably include a couple future first, but, you know, Lou Williams, DeAndre Jordan for Kevin Love and, and the Brooklyn pick. And I go, hmm, DeAndre, right? The warrior to help LeBron absorb contact and Lou to put the, you know, put the, put the lotion in the basket. So uh, mm. anyway, for me, that's my trade machine. There's things out there for teams like a Steve Ballmer who'd love to have it in his prime. You know, imagine Love and Blake Griffin. That's kind of an interesting, anyway, I digress. Well, I think, I think quickly, Avery Bradley's another guy I'll be looking at. I know he's played terrible for the Pistons this year, but... He's a guy, maybe a change of scenery is what he will need well, uh, to bring out the best in him. But do you, do you, um, what do you land on this? I go, I think, I don't see any other assets besides, like, trading the Brooklyn pick by itself isn't going to change the dial a lot because what's the Brooklyn pick worth? Is that worth Avery Bradley? Like, oh, I think certainly because he's, he's, a, he's an unrestricted more, free right? agent. So he's unrestricted. That would be an overpay almost for, for so Bradley. So who would be a good, because I was going, I'm assuming that love's going to have to be included to re-engineer the Cavs roster enough to give them a genuine, to, you know, put them over. Well, they need a center. They, you need a center on the roster. I mean, when you're going out and, and sending out SOSs for Larry Sanders 12 months ago, uh, you, you must know that there's a problem with the organization. They still haven't signed a center. Uh, despite all the issues that they've had, it's the biggest head scratcher of it. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Where the, the roster construction here was was pathetic, and it was terrible. And we called it in the off season. We weren't overly impressed with it, and it's no. it's been no. It certainly played out the way I guess that we probably thought it would uh, after a you know, after a bad start, and as I say, feasting on a, a pretty easy schedule and then uh, falling apart again. So they've got some interesting games. They travel to Miami this week. That's another one that's going to be one to, to watch out for. The, the, the other thing to remember, Daz, they've bought the trade deadline forward, so there's only just over a week now to get those deals done. So That's true. There's a lot of teams scrambling at the moment, a lot of questions being asked. Uh, so if they're going to be chopping Isaiah Thomas and Kevin Love and the Brooklyn pick, it, it, something needs to happen soon. I'm just, I'm not hearing enough sort of firm rumours about anything other than the George Hill move. Uh, but I wouldn't mind, yeah, you bring George Hill and Avery Bradley, and that's at least now you've got a, a backcourt that can defend, that can stop someone. Uh, and if LeBron finally decides to turn up and start playing some defence. Uh, you might have a chance of keeping teams under 130 occasionally. So they're, they're the sort of two players, but you know they don't necessarily move the needle greatly against the Warriors, but they are certainly improvements on what they've got at the moment. So we might move on though, Daz. The big news really that came out of the time since we last spoke was was very sad news actually, and it's 
going to change the entire landscape, you feel, of the NBA, and that was Boogie Cousins uh, rupturing his Achilles tendon. I didn't see the players watching the game, and the Pelicans was a real signature win for the Pelicans. They, they built a big lead in the first half. As is their want, they went away from the way they built the lead. They built the lead by just pounding Houston down low. Admittedly, the Rockets were missing a lot of shots in the first half, and then the second half... Of course, Boogie thought he was a, a point guard again, so he's standing out there shooting threes, and you're just pulling your hair out watching it as Houston sort of slowly crawl their way back into the game through the sort of flops and the illegal screens and the way that they go about it, which is quite difficult to watch in its own right. And then they finally got the N1. Boogie gets the offensive ball, puts it back in, and you think, OK, it's over. And I actually switched over to the Spurs game. Spurs were playing the Sixers and getting blown out at the, the time. And I was sort of hoping against hope for a comeback there. And then I turned it back and Boogie's limping off. So I didn't actually see the incident. But watching it later, it was clearly there was no contact there. And once you see a guy go down with no clear contact, you know it's pretty bad. And uh, the news came out shortly after that, that ruptured Achilles tendon out for 12 months. Realistically, he's obviously done for this year. He's probably done for next year as well. You you might get a few months out of him after the All-Star break. And the record of players coming back from this sort of injury is not great. Dominic Wilkins is the player that most people point to that did come back well from it. But most other players have been a shadow of their former selves after coming back from injury like that. So this opens up so many questions, though, Daz. I mean, this this is a guy that's an unrestricted free agent in the off-season. So... There's questions now for the Pelicans about whether they re-sign him or not. There's questions of Pelicans, where are we going as a franchise if we re-sign him, if we don't re-sign him? What happens with Anthony Davis now? Is he a potential trade candidate uh, before the deadline? So many questions. I mean, I guess I'll unpack it first from, from the boogie point of view. It's hard to, yeah. I guess, get an assumption. We, you assume he's not going, he's never going to come back as the same player. If you're New Orleans, how, I guess, how do you approach this from this point of view? Yeah, it's going to take a while. Look, I can believe it or not, I can relate, right? When we have, when I've seen Jabari Parker, you know, um, just as he's reaching the peaks of his sort of powers, right, last year to blow his ACL for the second time, it takes time for teammates, for fans, for the front office, just to emotionally deal with the... Um, the situation, right? Because you, you obviously you desperately feel for the for the player. And you just feel the sense of dread and doom and what could have been all wrapped up together. And I literally couldn't think of a worse circumstance under which Boogie could have done this, right? It's just as you were alluding to, they were up to the number six seed in the West. They just had their a really great signature win or in the you know eight seconds from a signature win against a fully healthy Houston team, right? Mm. Paul and Harden were there playing, and they that was a fucking great game, right? It was a, they were up by four with nine seconds, a meaningless play, meaningless free throw that he's just hustling, right? He's just hustling on it, and it was complete, and it was absolutely no contact. So it wasn't like some you know Austin Rivers sat on his fucking leg sort of situation. It was a meaningless, meaningless play. Um, and as you just said, is impending free agency and everything around Anthony Davis and, and, and it worst possible timing. 
Um, so it's going to take time. And I watched them play today a semi-spirited game against um, the Clippers, and they couldn't. They were down big for most of the game, had a bit of a surge, and then things just didn't go their way, and they lost it. And I could just tell by the crowd, just when you when you go through that with one of your stars, and you know the future is going to be bleak. It's going to be bleak and full of question marks. You don't cheer as loudly because everything kind of, you know, hey, we, oh, we, can we beat the Clippers? Oh, maybe not. Nothing, like everything's going to feel like a little bit bland. Mm. So that's going to take a while. And that's even, again, as a non-Pelican fan, that's that's hard. hard I mean, they were set up too happen. because you look at it and you think they're a great matchup oh. for Houston. They're an even better matchup for the Spurs. So if they're sitting there in that six seven range and they and they don't no one fears OKC at this point, despite they having their win streak and then Minnesota's unproving the playoffs. So I think they would have genuinely gone into the playoffs saying, We're we're a good a chance as anyone of going through a meeting Golden State. Now I'm not sure if that's how it would have played out, but from an internal point of view, they would have felt very good about where they were headed. Well, you know what happens? I I was thinking about this just to your point. They win one of the first two games, right? They'll be at Houston or at Golden State, probably. They just win one of the first two. Fuck, that's going to fill them with confidence, right? Mm. And there's nothing worse in a team with nothing to lose, right? right? Nothing to lose team, a nothing to lose franchise. Now bring them with confidence if they can just get one of those two. And you're right, man, oh, man, oh, man. Are they, look, Golden State's better than everybody. Nobody's a bad Nobody is a good matchup for Golden State. Full stop. <laughs> That's right. But you're right. You're bang on. <laughs> Fucking Clint Capella and Nene had nothing. They couldn't do anything with the two big boys of New Orleans. And kudos to New Orleans and that Flotsam Jetson idiot um, roster of theirs. <laughs> Players whose names we'll never remember are playing. They're all right. Right? The Cunningham and Etwan and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Well, they're Darius Miller, yeah, they, Alvin Gentry's done a great job. They try, they fucking, they try, right? They're the, they're not exactly Miami Heat fit, but they're fucking Miami Heat effort. So, so, okay. All right, really let me put this stuff. to you. So, Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge calls you. No, you're Dill Demps, and he no. says, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the Lakers slash Kings pick for Anthony oh. Davis. Well, I. Well, I say yes to that, but I don't think Ainge would ever do that. That feels like an overpay, to be honest. You for, for well, Anthony, it, it okay, depends, I, I guess, whether they think they could re-sign him. I mean, Anthony Davis only twenty-four, so he's got oh, two more years after this one. He's right? got he's, he's, one more. He's a player option for the the year after that, which you'd, you'd imagine he'd take. If oh, he's right. So it's one more year <laughs> plus player option. Is that all? Right. So. Um, the key thing to that question is less about the trade value and or the team that you're talking about, Boston. It's that uh, Del Demps is a lame duck. He's in, he's in the last year of his contract. Well, that's what the and point that Danny and that made. I mean, he's he's in a position where if he tanks and, and sends Anthony Davis out, he's out of a job. Yeah, so I go that, – that's why I think I my read on Demps in a – with a post-boogie – um, you know, look at there's another disabled player exception after another, I think of three games and they'll sign some random players. Um, is I think he still wants to make the playoffs. He'd like to keep the Clippers from making playoffs. Um, Denver, Denver to me is still 
still vulnerable and imperfect. So I think they still want the playoffs and the and the income from the playoffs and to give, you know, I guess quote unquote Anthony Davis a reason to believe they've got hope. So I still think they're going to make moves for the with the idea of improving this current roster. That's what I think is going to happen. There's no way he sells off Anthony Davis. There's no way. No. 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 Zero, well, I guess zero, zero, zero not what you chance. think will happen, but what should happen. I mean, for the good of this franchise, should they be now looking to shop Anthony Davis? No, because his value is still going to be as high in the offseason and it will be as, as high at the next trade, trade lines. There's no, absolutely no reason. His value is not going to go any direction, but but it's going to stay the same. He's Like you said, he's only 24. And for me, the big question is, uh, what do you do with Boogie? If Boogie was healthy this year, let's say they made the sixth seed and won two games against Golden State in round one. Right, or whatever they won, hell they make they take the Spurs to seven, or right they win two games against the Rockets on you know have like a Bucks like you know the way the Bucks played Toronto where yeah that was a four two series but fuck that felt like it could have been a four two our way if they had a season like that Boogie has a no brainer no thoughts uh, no doubt about it five year one seventy five right no doubt about it he's a max guy the the New Orleans exper- the experiment is working. We've stolen Boogie Cousins for uh, Buddy Heald, who will never be as good as Jamal Crawford and whatever the fuck else they gave up, a, a meaningless first-rounder. Now what, well, now, what's Boogie worth? Is he going to get a max contract? Is he going to get a Joel Embiid-like injury-contingent um, games-played PER performance-based sort of incentive-laden contract? Will Boogie want to do a make-good deal, like a one-year deal, prove he's healthy? Because, look, he could come back in November, right? Ten, nine, ten months, they could say he comes back from the Achilles and play like Zebo for, you know, for, for 50 <laughs> games. So, I, for me, it's the infinite number of question marks around. So, the two, your two questions were, what, what do I think they need to do is – do the best they can with their limited resources, surround Anthony Davis with whatever they can, and, hell, trade their first-round pick. I would. I'd, I'd trade their first-rounder because um, I was just looking at they've got their first-rounder this year, right, which will be, look, if they make the playoffs, it'll be number, what, 15, 16, 17, 18. Trade yeah. it. See if that can help you um, get something. But I wouldn't trade Boogie. You know, I, you just can't. Well, and that boogie has no value at the moment. You told me Anthony Davis. No, I'm saying boogie. I'm saying you don't you don't dump boogie. You did 100. There's no zero percent chance you dump Anthony Davis. But I'm going. Would you trade boogie the way Danny Ainge dumped Isaiah? Well, I don't see boogie has no value because boogie's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season anyway. He's not going to play between now and then. True, but you get bird rights, right? So I'm saying, if you oh, I suppose you can offer him a bit more in in free agency. That's it, because yep. you could. So for a team who would want to commit to Boogie for say more years than another team, a team willing to take an extreme risk, like a Phoenix, right? An irrational team who might, you know, take that, or an irrational team whose clock is ticking, like Washington. What if the only way they could get Boogie now is that he's discounted, right? No, I, I think that's, that's a bad look for the franchise to just give up on the guy. And do that. I, I'd re-sign Boogie. I wouldn't be giving him the max. Uh, I don't know. Maybe giving him a two-year deal. 
with with plenty of yeah. um, incentives on it. I just look to Anthony Davis two year, two more years after this year, and he can be a free agent. So not one that they do have him. But that, but that's my point because if he's unrestricted, he's. I think there's going to be teams willing to take a chance that even an aging Demarcus Cousins with a you know Wes Matthews um, ruptured Achilles still has so many goddamn skills he can play like a fucking Moses Malone, right? Put his unbelievable hands and his unbelievable touch around the basket. Get him to fuck away. Get him from 30 feet into 10 feet. What if he's actually, what if he's supremely, supremely skilled, right, around the basket as a ground and pound sort of player? So I go, I think there could be teams who review the medicals and view the view the person and view his style of play and go, you know what, fuck it. He's worth four years, 125. Let's go for it. That's why I, I don't think him resigning with New Orleans is a slam dunk at all, Daz. That's my point. That's why I'm saying if you're Boogie and you're his agent and you're going, what am I worth? How can I do this? You have to be thinking, you know, four years, 100 million plus. I don't think you take a, you know, one year make good deal. or, that's, or So therefore, you have to start thinking, oh, again, expiring GM, AD's, AD's tenure is coming to an end. Is there a team willing to take a chance on him? Because they'd have a better chance at resigning him. But, but we'll see. I think there's a lot of that's a lot of what ifs. Well, if it were me, I'd be I'd be making calls now to move Anthony Davis and see really? what future assets a I could get. A superstar like that. Because oh, wow. I just think you you I just think you're going to lose him for nothing. And the further he goes into this contract, the more chance he walks away for nothing, and the less but, his value but, gets. But you don't do that now. Are you saying do that now at this trade deadline? Or are you saying after this? See what's out there now. I mean, what's your best case scenario at the moment? You're going to finish with a number eight seed. Yeah, well, but but you also fans. So imagine that that message to the fans, the message to the to the rest of the players. Like that is the ultimate white flag. I mean, that you just signed Drew Holiday to eight billion dollars. Right, and, you're, and you just can't dump your <laughs> best player. The funny thing, Drew Holiday's <laughs> meeting all the bonuses in his contract as well, so that just keeps going up by the day. Oh, what an asshole! I hate him. <laughs> but, good uh, no, no, he's he's, play, he's playing well actually. That that's turned out to be not as bad a contract I think as we originally thought. So we probably know that it's a mumble pie. And that I would I would <laughs> like to see them um, keep a, a direct line of communication open with Boogie and his agent. I'd like to see them get Solomon Hill back healthy. I'd like to see them get Frankie Jackson back. I'd like to see, I don't know what Tony Allen's status is like. Will he come back? I'd like to see them dangle it, dangle their first round pick, see what you can get for their first rounder. I'd have to, I'd have to do a lot more thinking sort of, you know, could Ave, could they get an Avery Bradley? Could they get a... Well, they're up against what? the hard cap too, so they've got to move money to take money on. So they've maybe, got some problems maybe. there. The, the Ashley contract's really been such an albatross. I would shop and I would give it a try, right? Because um, that next year's number 19 pick isn't going to help Anthony Davis stay in New Orleans. It's not. No. So uh, they're kind of like for me with Cleveland is same thing with the Brooklyn number eight pick. It's not going to help LeBron. It's not going to help the franchise, you know, rebuild. You know, it'll be helpful, but it's not going to be the, the savior. So I'd be trying to go all in for 18 to help. Look, it depends what you get. If, if you could get a first rounder plus Brown and Tatum from the, the Celtics, I'd pull the trigger on that straight away. <laughs> 
But there's, you know, Danny doesn't do trades like that. Danny waits until. Oh something. well, Danny. This is the same Danny Age was going to give up all the picks for Justice Winslow a few years ago. So let's not pretend he's the the biggest genius in the NBA. Um, it was just that Michael Jordan, the, the front office situation in Charlotte's worse than maybe even Milwaukee. So that's that's where <laughs> that trade fell away. But that that was, I think that was both of the yeah, Brooklyn picks um... picks. If the um, there's a Freudian slip if I've ever seen that talking about Danny Age. <laughs> But they had both of the Brooklyn picks, uh, plus their own first round that year, and they yeah. wanted to, to just to pick Justice Winslow. So how would that have turned out for them? So I don't, uh, I don't, yeah, I, I yeah, think. Sure. And I mean, you made the point too uh, last year. Danny Ainge was, is hoarding all these assets because he's after a whale. He's not just after a shark. And Anthony Davis is, is the biggest fish yeah. in the pond in terms of who, who's available out there to be traded for. And, and we know they've already been calling about him. So. Yeah, let's see how this plays out. I don't think I don't think there's any chance that Anthony Davis will be traded, but I think that they should be at least starting to think about making that well, sort of move. Well, what you know is a certainty is that Del Demps' phone is fucking ringing. Del Demps' phone's ringing off the hook on Boogie, on AD, on next year's first rounder. His phone's ringing, so there'll be... That for, that's why I'm saying everything stems from what's his relationship with ownership, what's his time horizon, and um, and then that, and that's unknowable at this point, right? Yeah. Uh, what we know is he's expiring, and therefore if if we take he's expiring, then he should probably, he's probably going to be selling. Or sorry, he's going to be buying. Yeah. Trying to supplement anyway. Oh, this... Sad, sad, horrible. You feel, don't, don't you have, you know. Oh, you got to feel. You got to feel oh. for the. The poor guy the was going to get a, and, a, designated, and a designated player, the Supermax from Sacramento, and he goes and gets fucking dumped. Right, the poor guy's getting the money now. He and the team didn't, you know, they kind of sucked last year, and they're just getting their shit together in a meaningless play at the end of an amazing game. It just you couldn't you couldn't write a more heartbreaking script. It, uh, I just why couldn't this happen to, um, you know, Al Horford? <laughs> <laughs> Who would you say who was your yeah. who would you wish? I think Durant was the one I wished it on, or maybe Zaza. One of them, the Zaza. Yeah. So well, let's move on, Des. We'll move on to a couple other stories. So there was a there was a story uh, about the San Antonio. I said they were in the news. Uh, I don't mean to spend too much time on this because I think it's absolute nonsense. But I'm interested in your take. Kawhi Leonard not happy. Now, this is a story that actually has been out there for a couple of weeks. The, the beat rise in San Antonio covered it. So Kawhi Leonard, when he came back and wasn't right, he got his own second opinion from his own training people, and they had a difference of opinion with the Spurs medical staff. And then the decision was made to let him rest and try and sort of work out what is actually going on with this quad injury that he's carrying and hasn't been able to recover from the entire season. The next thing you know, the hotheads of ESPN get hold of it and the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, the next thing you know, they're saying uh, Kawhi Leonard wants out of San Antonio, uh, he's not happy there, etc., etc. So uh, I think the interesting thing to me about this story was the people that didn't report on it and, and the boot riders in San Antonio didn't touch it. Zach Lowe was supposed to be a contributor for it. He didn't even link to it on his Twitter timeline. Uh, Jalen Rose had said something about it. He didn't back away from it. All he sort of said on, on Bill Simmons' podcast was, 
we'll know in the off-season uh, if he's right or not because Kawhi's got a veteran extension contract that he'll be eligible to sign. So if he signs that, we know everything's fine. If he doesn't sign that, we know that there might be something amiss there and they might be looking to shop him. But what did you make of it from the outside looking in? Maybe I'm a bit close to it and I don't want it to be true, so I just dismissed it out of hand. But from the outside looking in, what was your take on the Kawhi Leonard news? So on on the merits of the news of a player who's trying to uh, look after his own health and his own medical and he's listening to his own body and the probability that that sometimes would conflict with what um, the other doctors might say. I think it's not a stretch at all to say, you know what, they're not, they're not seeing eye to eye because guess what? This is an inexact science. It's gray, right? That's why you get multiple opinions. So there's lots of gray areas. I've been, as a person who's lived through multiple knee reconstructions and multiple doctor opinions about how to approach stuff, I too can uh, empathize with, you know what? Oh, the doctors are telling me that, but fuck, this doesn't feel right. I don't believe this treatment plan or, oh, I'm doing all the things they say I should do, but, oh, this ain't right, so let me go check it out, right? So I have no, I don't doubt at all that perhaps Kawhi's approach and opinions with his doctors were either, I don't know, not transparent enough or conflicted, full stop. I believe that to be true, just as I believe all the complexities with Isaiah Thomas's vague injury, and we see it actually a lot of times in baseball when pitchers, right, their elbows kind of go, and like, what do we do? How do we approach it? Do you rest the guy and hope it heals or put him under the knife and he's out for 18 months? What do you do, right? There's no right or wrong. So I've no doubt there's been some conflict there, right? Again, you know Kawhi better than I do then, right? Amplified by a player with supreme, you know, world-class levels of competitiveness, first all-NBA talent, and someone who would love nothing more than to shut fucking Kevin Durant up, right? So his his competitiveness, right, no doubt, you know, plays a role, right, in the way that they process his information with the doctors. Yep. Now that that leading to a schism or him wanting out is fucking bullshit. That's bollocks. That is that's ridiculous. Unless the only only possible way that becomes even a thread of reality is if San Antonio doctors just say, hey, Kawhi, do X. Kawhi does X. And he goes, hey, that hurts. I hate it. And they go, okay, keep doing it. And he goes, fuck you. Keep. I go, and that's not happening. Unless no. the doctors are literally instructing him things that are, that are painful or destructive or whatever their metrics are, measuring the, f- the fibric tensions of his quad or the whatever the hell this quadricept quad injury is unless they're telling him to do things that he hates I believe not for an instant there's any rift I just believe it's an emotional situation he wishes he were playing he's not it's a frustrating injury that's that's diagnosed in a gray zone and there's no super one way exact right answer to look at it and it's fucking frustrating period. yeah that's it now, yeah, I mean, he's frustrated because right? he would have been looking at the MVP race he was favourite coming in he's probably looking at the MVP race as it stands at the moment and thinks if I was even just playing as well as I played last year I'd be the front runner at the moment yeah it could be ninth as well 
So um, that's a, that's a, that's a goofy. I don't know. He's you know he's top ten always. But uh, so what I was going to say what what makes from the outsiders what what can give merit to discord, right? I only say merit to general discord is the and this this is the story that actually for me is far more important than the Kawhi story is Lamarcus wanted out. And if and I have no reason to doubt, Pop, can you, can you tell me, Pop doesn't say this eight months later if it actually wasn't probably what actually occurred. I don't think he's throwing bullshit out at this point to say, you know what, mm, things weren't working and we thought we were going for a breakup and he thought we wanted out. But I said, oh, fuck, we can't have that. So we sat down and had a series of conversations and we worked it out. So the mark for me, the Lamarcus conversation is far more what what provides the context for the Kawhi story, right? So if Kawhi sitting there going, "Huh, right, fucking Bagadonis dipshit who fucking did nothing in the playoffs when I was healthy or not healthy," is complaining now to the coach who has been my mentor and God for my entire career, and now they're fucking rolling out the red carpet for him and posting him and reposting and letting him shoot fucking 20 footers. And they're running the offense through fucking LaMarcus and, 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 and LaMarcus and I, Mr. MVP and being treated like this. Again, that's from an outsider's perspective. I could, if I wanted to construct a conspiracy theory, I go, what the fuck you're giving fat ass bullshit bag of donuts, LaMarcus, that treatment, which is we're going to alter our style of play to suit you and to maximize your talents. But you, Mr. MVP, we're going to flog you and push you and whatever, challenge your medical references. Oh, fuck you. Now, if, if that, if those things happen, Daz, and both of those things are, if I'm sitting in Kawhi's shoes, I go, I can very conceivably, not a stretch, I can conceivably con construct a story that says, what the fuck, right? I go, what's going on with how you're treating your players? So that's from the outsiders, maybe the one place where there might be some, some tension. Oh yeah. I, I don't think Kawhi, I mean, from everything we know about Kawhi, he's just not built that way that he would, he would be looking on in that sense uh, and thinking, oh, this is, this is my team and, and how dare they treat LaMarcus Aldridge like it's his team, all of a sudden and all this. And I mean, the other point you'd make is when, when Kawhi came back, it very quickly reverted in the games he was there to being his team again. And LaMarcus Aldridge's usage went right down. Kawhi's went up to about where it was last year. So it wasn't like when Kawhi came back, they said, no, Kawhi, we're playing a different style now. We're just going to keep feeding into LaMarcus every time down the floor. So... I don't think there's I don't think there's any truth, but I can understand what you're saying from that sort of looking. You look yeah, at right. where where could the tension be coming from? It's probably not coming from the misdiagnosis of the injury, but that adds to the frustration. And then maybe he's looking around the league and saying, "Well, I could actually be in a better position personally, um, and you know, from a marketing point of view, whatever else you want to look at it, than being at San Antonio." And and again. Jalen Rose's point was, he's looking at the team, this is an ageing roster, where are they going to be in two, three years' time, and, and how you know, I'm going to have to put this whole roster on my back. And the problem for the Spurs is, because Kawhi's the, the highest draft pick they've had since Tim Duncan, so it's not being 
they, they haven't been able to rebuild through the draft, and that's very difficult. It's a credit to their front office that they've been as competitive as, as what they have been for so long, but it is difficult to keep rebuilding and bring through young talent when you're picking in the 20s and 30s every year and you're not a team that's, no, that's no, prone to doing big trades. Know, it's impossible. It's not hard. It's impossible. It's NFL. You can do it, right? Packers and Patriots do it. It's impossible. So you actually, <laughs> they'll go. You're actually underselling the power of their system. Well, the you only thing, yeah, they, they did was the, franchise around Brandon Paul and Dejounte and Derek White. That's not a. That's not well, a, that's it. I mean, you look at it. You've got Derek White, Dejounte Murray, yeah. Slow Mo Anderson, Brandon Paul signed <laughs> from the Europe. Uh, you know, Davis Bertans, who was actually in the trade for Kawhi Leonard, um, he, he they got his rights in that Kawhi Leonard trade. So had to give up George Hill, who they sort of developed. Again, another guy that was picked in sort of the early 20s, and that was one of the years the Spurs weren't doing quite as well. Uh, they developed him into a nice player, made that trade and bought in Kawhi Leonard, who was pick 14. Uh, so that's the highest they've picked since since the, they won the Tim Duncan draft. So it's it's been... Uh, pretty difficult to be, you know, and, and you're not, it's difficult to pick a guy like they were sort of ahead of the curve when they bought Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili in because there was still that little bit of distrust about the European guys. I mean, I think if them guys get drafted there, there's no way they're going as late as what they were going then. Yeah, I agree. But so, I guess, look, they've had a, they've had a bit of a skids. They had, what, 31 points at halftime against Philly. 48 points at halftime against Sacramento, and they won. So they're they're not they're not playing awesome basketball. They're playing terrible, at the really terrible yeah. at the moment. Yeah, they're not playing great at the moment. But um, look, I think they're short term. Look, there's no there's the the least hot take ever. This team has no hope in the playoffs. I even I'd even say in the first round they're very susceptible. Unless Kawhi is 100, percent kind of the same way as Isaiah is in the Eastern Conference. So. Well, so, I think Kawhi, um, apparently Kawhi's going to be back after the All-Star break. That's the latest I've heard. Uh, I'd love to see uh, Sacramento shopping some players. I'd love to see the Spurs take a shot at Scal LeBessier, who is not even playing for the Sacramento at the moment, which I can't understand. So I'm not sure what price they're asking for him, but I'd be even willing to give up a top 20 protected first round the next year to, to bring him in and see what he's got because I've seen flashes from that guy. I just think in the right environment. Uh, he could be a nice fit there for the Spurs. So uh, not like the Spurs to be throwing away first-round draft picks, though, so I'm not sure we'll see much action from the Spurs. This is probably the roster that they're going to go in with. They are missing, believe it or not, they're missing Rudy Gay at the moment because they just don't have a guy that they can throw the ball to and say, just give us a bucket. Like We're, we're in a rough stretch at the moment. And it's all sort of that sort of teamwork and looking for open shots, but... You know, when guys like Bertan and Bryn Forbes and, and things like that, the shots aren't dropping, uh, it becomes very, very difficult for them. So the offense is a real slog at the moment, a real slog. They they might go after Michael Beasley. Well, look, they could do worse, Daz. Or uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's... someone to put... I'm just, I'm genuinely, I'm like... Someone to put the ball in the basket, right? Someone to just better. get some buckets. And that's what yeah. Rudy Gay It's another one that's confound. He was supposed to only be out a few games with a right heel injury. Yeah. And he's been out now, extended time. He's still in street clothes uh, sitting on the bench. So he doesn't. He may not be back until after the All-Star break. So I'd, I'd say wait and see this Spurs team 
hopefully we see them at some stage with the best line on the floor, everyone firing on four cylinders, and then we might get some understanding of uh, of where they're at. Uh, but look, I think the way they're constructed, it's going to be very difficult. I think they could take a game or two off uh, Golden State and, and Houston. But given the point guard situation, they've got their struggle to defend the point guard position. And when you're coming up against the likes of Steph Curry and, and Chris Paul in the playoffs, things are going to be very, very difficult for them uh, from that point of view. So we might move on, Daz. I'm getting a bit depressed talking about that, the Spurs in that sense. Um, I'm not used to talking about them as not being contenders. So we'll move on and talk about another uh, sad piece of injury news. We, we, Well, I had this guy as the Defensive Player of the Year in our half-yearly rankings, and you sort of said he was sort of top two for you. That's Andre Robeson. He's gone down uh, with a pectoral injury. If I'm remembering right, he's he's done for the season as well. Uh, what does that mean for OKC? Okay, so, I mean, this is an elite defensive team. They've fallen off completely in the minutes he's been off the floor. Now, Terence Ferguson, who we saw in the NBL here in Australia last year, he's come into the starting lineup. Now, Billy Donovan said that's not necessarily the way it's going to stay. There's going to be a bit of a battle, but you feel like Ferguson's probably the best comp to Robeson. He's a defensive first guy can't shoot a lick so that's that's where the, the sort of comp obviously not in the range of, of what Robeson is where do you see this? is this a team that again should be looking to be active at the trade deadline uh, or should they just try and roll with what they've got and sort of see how far they can push this team well the question is what sort of assets they have to deal right and they've already um, they don't have their first round pick this next upcoming season so that means they can't trade the one until you know until the two years later. Who owns that? So, Minnesota. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's off to Minnesota. Um, that was the um, the Rubio, Cantor, Jackson trade, right? There was that got moved around, so they don't own their first pick next year, uh, or in eighteen, I guess. Um, look, I think you and I have been both pretty consistent. I think they are a, I think they're a pretender the way they've played. Um, the lack of depth, the way they use Carmelo, um, Russ's style of play is just, to state the obvious, so Russ-centric. It just doesn't lend itself to uh, a seven-game series. So even when he had Kevin Durant as a running mate, he, they couldn't finish. You know, couldn't finish. So I just don't. Know. Yeah, they'll be a pesky and they'll be difficult and they'll be physical and they'll they'll drain you. But they're just so low IQ. I don't really worry about OKC in the playoffs if I'm any other team. That being said, from Oklahoma City's perspective, right, they're already quite thin, aren't they? And yeah, Ferguson's, what, 19 years old, and hmm. he already had an, a Roberson-like uh, line today. He had 23 minutes and took one shot, right? So he's got an already Roberson-like you know, box scores, 23 minutes, one field goal attempt, five rebounds, no fouls, no assists, no steals, no blocks, just runs around, plays defense, and as soon as he touches the ball, gets rid of it. So um, he's quite athletic, right? He's very athletic. So it'll be a little bit different version of Roberson that way. And that, you know, and a couple of games ago, I saw some truly electric highlight reel dunks from Ferguson. So mm. it might be a bit of fun, but look, a 19 year old is not going to help OKC, you know, win basketball games. Um, so look, Roberson's a loss that will hurt their depth. Definitely. Um, but allow guys like Ferguson to grow. And since Robertson didn't ever score any points, 
I actually don't think it's going to hurt their wins and losses too badly. Um, so uh, it's it's bad, uh, but I don't think it's going to hurt them too much, I guess, in terms of seeding or where they go in the playoffs. I think yeah, Ferguson I think can be the a, watch will be on where their defensive efficiency goes, I guess, from here. Yeah. Consistently ranked in the top three all season. Where does that fall to? I think the key yeah. to OKC is you can't play their style of game. And we saw Philly going there today. You talk, want to talk about low IQ basketball. Philadelphia are the kings at the moment. Uh, of that of that sort of style of play. I mean, uh, the Sacramento Kings are the true kings of low IQ basketball, but <laughs> Philly went in today and just played OKC style, and it, and it, it, it suited OKC down in the ground, and uh, Stephen Adams was just having a field day, getting offensive rebounds all day. And you, you look at that too and you think, gee, the mellow trade looks worse and worse by the day for this team because... Canter makes Jesus. sense on this team. Canter and even McDermott make sense on this team. I don't, Mello, Camilla Anthony doesn't make any sense on this team, the way they play. So I, I think that, that trade just gets worse and worse every time I see this team uh, take the court. That trade gets worse and worse, and I, I almost said it, but I didn't. Because I do love Paul George, but I watched, the I think, the um, idealised version of... Um, Sabonis yesterday where he was a beast in a high pick and roll with Oladipo so Oladipo and Sabonis were doing amazing stuff where Sabonis has a great timing, could finish through contact, had enough sort of finesse around the hoop, was getting and ones he has great hands in the pocket I'm like he's doing things that you could spell, right, so maybe he and um, to be fair, he and Cantor as you were saying are actually redundant in that way but fuck, he was playing some great basketball the other night like mm. the idealized versions of Sabonis, where he can he can hit a 19-footer, but um, in a pick and pop. And man, he was tricky to defend when you got a, an athlete like Oladipo or Russ, you know, doing a pick and roll. So, yep, uh, look, but we look. This is hindsight, right? I think you and I both sort of said, look, Sam Presti is playing three-dimensional chess. You know, he and um, he, um, not Hinky, who's Houston's GM. Maury, Daryl Maury. Maury, look, they're just they're playing a different level, right? Their their sophistication, their risk taking is at a different level. So the fact they were able to acquire a George and Anthony, I think, still has to be applauded for their the chutzpah, if nothing else. So um, it's not working out with Carmelo, that's for sure. But it's it's hard for us to sit there and go, they shouldn't have done it. It's just not working out. And is that part of that coaching? Is that Billy Donovan? Hmm. Is that just Russ being Russ? And no matter what you do, you're going to have to stand in the corner and hope you get the ball because that motherfucker is going to fucking hunt for every fucking triple-double. He's going to give a shit. I'm not, I'm, I'm way, I'm so beyond convinced he's going to give a shit about anything besides triple-doubles. And I'm probably, I'm probably late to that camp, but having watched him play, I'm like, fuck. He's so frustrating. So, Again, I'm kind of big in the empathy camp. I feel for Carmelo. I feel for Kevin Love. I'm like, you got these amazingly talented players who are just so sub-optimized on their teams. You know, it makes you a bit angry. <laughs> yeah, I think you make a fair point. I mean, it's not like they're going to win the title if they keep Ennis Cantor and, and Doug McDermott. Uh, whereas no. if if Melo comes in and we get the absolute best version of Melo and it all falls into place, maybe that did raise their ceiling a bit more than having than keeping Cantor and McDermott. So another injury though, Daz, to just keep an eye on is news about John Wall today. He was held out 
of the Wizards' last game against the Hawks with a left knee injury. He's going to Cleveland. We talked about Kawhi Leonard getting second opinions. Well, John Wall's doing the same. He's going to Cleveland to get a second opinion on the knee. And there is some chance uh, that he's going to be held out longer term than just a few games. We'll wait and see what we hear on that. But not liking what we're seeing, uh, the Wizards. You sort of touched on it earlier. They, they seem to be... Well, free fall is probably too fine a point on it because they've still got a reasonable record in their last... They're four and six in their last ten, but they haven't completely fallen off the cliff yet. But every game I see them, they just look miserable. They look like the Clippers looked in the in the sort of the throws of the Chris Paul era there. Just not a happy team. And Scott Brooks, you want to talk about coaches on the hot seat. He, his name could be, could be next up. Uh, you've hit that they look... They look joyless. That's our word. They look joyless. Um, the Bucks killed them twice in about a, a week's time, kind of in early January. Um, they got well, you talk out. about a team that hasn't beaten anyone. This team does not have one scalp to their name this year. Yeah, not one signature point. victory. That's a really good point. Look, they beat the Rockets, though, didn't they? I thought they beat um, the Rockets' victory. Well, I don't, be it must have been without Paul or... Or hard, yeah, prob- probably. But um, but but the point was, so they might have, if they have signature wins, they don't have many of them. Um, but the what I've seen in the last few weeks, you know, I saw the Bucks beat them twice in about ten day period, and then they go and lost to. Um, I saw they got destroyed by the Mavs, right? The way the Bucks got destroyed by the Mavs, they got destroyed by the Hornets, and it just they just looked joyless. They look like they're going through the motions and all the same backs and those stuff that we've been saying for the last couple of years. They've got no bench. They've got no depth. The rotations have no versatility. They play exactly one style of basketball the entire game. And that exact style is John Wall runs around, Beal camps out a three-point line, and insert here, you know, insert, you know, wing who maybe spots up in the corner. It's just this rinse and repeat. They've got no versatility to their offensive attack, none. Gortat's a year older and a year slower. It just nothing. So they're the new team with no upside anywhere. Um, Beal's as good as he's going to be. Otto Porter's is 14 points a game. He's never going to touch the ball anymore. He plays with fucking wheel. Um, sorry, wheel. <laughs> wall, wheel plus wall. That's a good nickname. The, the wheel. The wheel. The, the wheel. You know, the sad, sad wheel. Well, I think their upside comes from if John Moore gets back to 100%. He, oh, he's been nowhere near it this year. No. Yeah, he's got a sore knee. But, you know, they're, look, they're behind Miami in the freaking standings. And I know we've never talked about divisions, but they're behind Miami in the division. And in the East rankings, so I go, yeah, they're five games above 500, but that is the lamest five games above 500 I've seen. So I'm just piling on. I don't believe them. I think they're miserable. I think they've got coaching problems. I think they got depth problems. I think they got culture problems. I think this team is fragile. I saw Della Vadova um, just do some typical pushing and shoving the way he does and got under their skin. They get teed up a whole bunch of times, give a Bucks a bunch of free throws that changes the game. They don't fight back in the end. And so that was game one. And they played like 10 days later. And the Bucks decided again, they came out and Sterling Brown starts talking shit. And Delhi's doing his, you know, his stuff. And they don't fight. 
<laughs> they, they don't fight. And look, I, you don't want to judge a team too much by their fight in early January, but it just, right, even you punch Russ Westbrook in the mouth and he's going to fight even for the fucking Sacramento Kings, right? There's just no, there's no fight in Washington. So therefore, I can only conclude it's not fun. They're, as you said, Clippers, Clippers East from the last five years. And yeah, walls hurt, but man, that that's, yep, whatever, <laughs> you know, it's, it'll change our seating a little bit, but this team is a first round exit if I've ever seen it. Yeah, I think Scott Brooks has got that we're coached to keep an eye on, probably in the off season, more, more likely that, that he might get the bullet. Stan Van Gundy's seat's getting hotter though, Daz. They've lost eight in a row, the Pistons, uh, one and nine in their last ten. Have you, have you caught any of their games? I caught a little bit of their game today uh, and uh, just... It's inexplicable, and their, their defense is so bad at the moment. And they, I mean, when you got Ish Smith at one stage was caught on LeBron at the top of the key, and LeBron just took him down, had all the time in the world, <laughs> just take him to the basket. And it's like, is is anyone at what stage is someone going to come over and help here? And they and right at the last second, they came over to help just in time to foul LeBron as he put in the layup for an M one. And I thought, well, that sums up the Pistons on defense at the moment. Uh, they are just terrible. Look, there's been some really, really bad luck, right? They lost the Bulls by two. They lost the Nets by one. They had a really super close game against the Raptors, and didn't, they lost a free throw contest, lost by five. They lost that, you know, really close game to the Jazz. So they, they've had some close games in there, right? So they still fight. But I think what we're seeing is a just the roster's lack of talent. And this it's actually hard to put on Stan Vance. I don't know if his seat's getting hot because the roster is – the roster like it's talent is kind of at its limit and when you get so much from reggie bullock and you know langston galloway and the rest of the players like that obviously jackson's been gone for a while canards hit the wall i think a little bit from a rookie sort of wall perspective but you know this team it's it's built like a it's they built a 41 and 41 roster so i guess losing seven or eight in a row with a bit of bad luck sprinkled in isn't the worst thing um, they still don't. They don't look like they've quit, though, right? They, you know, the way Washington lollygags and bickers and kind of takes stuff off. I haven't seen them quit. I just don't think they're very good. So, and look, the one thing that stands out, and we you talked about him earlier, was Avery Bradley fucking sucks. I'm like, I don't know if he's just playing not to get hurt or what he's doing, but he he's terrible. Like, he doesn't pass the eye test. He doesn't pass the ear test. He doesn't pass the nose <laughs> test. Like, the, the, well, the, 41, the problem the I'm 41. seeing with this team, there's no lead, there's no on-court leadership. So when What's when they mean? start going down, things start going wrong, there's no one to look to and say, well, who's, who's leading us here? Well, Ish, Ish has kind of done that, right? But that's what I'm saying. Bradley is your you know one of your star, quote-unquote, star players, the big the big signing, right? And I go, I remember that you, I watched a bit of that Utah game. He was like, he was dreadful. He played 41 minutes and scored six fucking points. Mm. Didn't have an assist, didn't have a block, had two rebounds. I'm like, you have to fucking work hard to play 41 minutes, right? And basically not, not have a single assist and only score six points. I mean, that's a, that's a brand of ineffective and, and not giving a shit. So I go, there's something going on with Avery Bradley, which is a shame, which I do not put that on SVG. Now, look, I don't I don't know their locker room dynamics, but there's something 
there's something not right, especially considering Andre Drummond is having a really, really good season, right? The player you thought that, man, if he could just flip it around, this team might have something. And Drummond has, he's, you know, he's shooting 63% from free throw, you know, from the free throw line. So you can't hack him anymore. So it's like, Cleveland wow. were hacking him today. They just weren't getting called for it. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Look, there was a couple of men. I saw LeBron. LeBron must have taken seven steps on one play. And there was this, I mean, it was a pitter-patter, stippy-step, hop-step, five-step jump they didn't call. And then, actually, the game was still a little bit in the balance. Other than the balance, it was a close game in the fourth. And he, he just... He kicks the ball on defense, and they let it go. And it hit off a Detroit guy, and they gave the Cleveland the ball. He fucking kicked it. And Stan is Stan was so. Anyway, I, we can talk about Cleveland and the referees for too long. But anyway, back to Detroit. I think their roster just is the roster is bad. Canard, we're starting to see. You know what a an unathletic white guy looks like after 50 games. Like he looked really good after 20 after 50. Oh boy. You know, he's kind of hitting his 11 PR peak, you know? Well, I think when Ish Smith's your leader, uh, that your ceiling is going to be fairly low. And I I love Ish as a backup point guard, but I think they're just asking him to do a little bit too much at the moment. Look, I hope Detroit turn around, but it's, it's things aren't looking good at the moment. For them, let's move. So they're one of the teams, I guess, that are moving into the tankathon uh, thinking nowadays. And one team that certainly wants to put themselves at the forefront of everyone's mind when it comes to tankathon is the Memphis Grizzlies because they've shut down Mike Conley for the rest of the year. Now, whether he was could have been able to play through the injury or not, I'm not sure, but they've shut him down for the rest of the year. So that puts them... Now, they've just got the tankathon in front of me at the moment. They're currently in the number six position, but they're only three losses... Uh, ahead, or sorry, three wins ahead of the Atlanta Hawks, who are currently in the number one spot, uh, along with the Orlando Magic. So, not inconceivable that they could fall right down to the uh, the number one pick, and or at least the best odds at getting the number one pick. And the the point was made. I mean, what what do you do if you're Memphis? Because you, okay, yes, you can draft one of the high draft picks, but is there something in the back of your mind to say, look? We still might have a couple of years with Conley and and Gasol. I mean, do, you, do you maybe think about shopping one of these picks and seeing what sort of you might be able to get for that to stay relevant in the next couple of years? Because this is a team that wants to make the playoffs. I mean, I don't think they they've got any illusions about winning the, the title, but they want to try and maximise the time that they may have left with Conley and Gasol at a reasonable level. Yeah, so look, um, Conley, I think, was... You'd have to be doctors to understand if this was a, is a quote unquote being, you know, Eric Bledsoe shut down or is it, you know, is his complications from his injury and probably a little bit of both. And it sounds like there's more surgery on the docket for him. So he's, he's being shut down. Um, And I think more so than any other team in the league, more so than the fucking bulls, more so than Phoenix who can't get it right. More so than Sacramento who can't get it right. More so than Orlando who can't get it right. More so than Atlanta, who will, I think, still attract a you know, few um, free agents once they get you know, a bit of a team back together. I think more so than any other team in the league, Memphis needs to hit on you know, a top two, top three sort of pick. 
just to change a bit of the, the, the trajectory of the franchise. Desi alluded to, look, we love Conley and Gasol. They've been doing it for eight or nine years in a row, but Conley's hurt. Conley's done. And so there's no, you don't, you don't sell this pick. You know, um, the big question is what do you do with Gasol and what do you make of his aging process and the fact that his defense is, God, his defense is barely Paul Gasol good anymore, right? He's, he's just not defending anymore. So he's almost turning into Brooke Lopez in the way they've gotten him shooting three-pointers. So that, for me, is the biggest question is what do you do with your probably most tradable asset mm. that can get you some value is, is Marc Gasol. And it has a whole bunch of twist, you know, uh, twisted meanings in that, you know, his closeness to the community. Him and Conley are, you know, basically yin and yang. Like they're the entire lifeblood of the franchise and their friendship. And and can you get value back from and all the rest of it? So um, I think they should stay the course. They should flip Tyreek Evans, who's having an unbelievable season. Flip him for, if you can get a first for him, you know, fantastic. If you can, I don't know, uh, who might give a first for him? I Washington would give a first for him. They're special. Washington. No, right. You know, that's the Ernie right. Grunfeld move every year. That's, that's the Grunfeld. <laughs> you know, get the number 20 pick That's called the Grunfeld. Right? Give that's away that Grundy. number 20 that's pick right. for a chucker. The, pe- the Pelicans are desperate. Didn't they have Tyreek for a while? Yeah. They had Tyreek. So, I don't think they're going there yeah. again. Yeah, but look, um, look, they've got a pretty loyal, a small but very loyal fan base who they look they're like a team that rewards effort so long as that um long as he's still um uh, god who's their coach um not fizz who's the who's their coach uh, <laughs> haven't they got an interim coach oh. at the moment because i kicked oh my god how terrible is that hey so <laughs> live call it if you can think of Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> head coach let us know. Yeah. Get <laughs> I'm trying to Google. I can't even Google properly. This is going to be cut. Oh, JB Bickerstaff, of course. JB, that's right. He's like he's younger than Conley. I think, we should yeah. know him. He's a, he's a he's a specialist at being a um. I would coach. love for them to hit on a Marvin Bagley or whomever the you know whomever the Jason Tatum of the next year's draft because I'd love to say so. I think you just have to sit just. Hold it, trade Tyreek for whatever asset you can get for him for sure. Whatever asset, seriously, give me a young player or a future first. Great. Yeah. Bring Conley back healthy. Bring Gasol back. He can still fucking play. I think Gasol's going to age quite well. You've seen the other Gasol age pretty well. I think Mark's got you know another two or three really. Oh, I think in the right environment, I think it's another yeah. case they're asking yeah. him to do too much at the moment. Uh, but if they, imagine they get themselves next year's Donovan Mitchell, or they get themselves next year's Dennis Smith, or next year's De'Aaron Fox. Who man was he fun to watch today, wasn't he, Daz? You know, obviously Sacramento had no chance, but De'Aaron, yeah, he's a He's a, he's he's got a future. If they can get that sort of player, the electric sort of spark, and get him 15 points a game as a rookie, energize them, give them some athleticism. So it's kind of do what Dennis Smith did for the Mavs. Then you know what you've got a got a bit of a future. You've energized the fan base. You give Conley and Gasol a reason to get out of bed in the morning. That's that's their future at the moment, right? This is not that's their future. Full stop. And you never know. Maybe the next guy they draft is, you know, is a Tatum or a Giannis or a, or a Kawhi. So, or a Hashem Thabit. 
or to beat, right? <laughs> or yeah, or 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 Anthony Bennett or whomever. But yeah. No, look, you're right. I mean, I think you're 100 percent right. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be moving, uh, I wouldn't be moving those picks. I'd be going the other way, like you said. I'd be looking at what what I could get for uh, Marcus Sale at this point, and just seeing if you can. And it's not even about going the full tank this year because I mean, this year's in the tank anyway. So it's not about that at the moment. It's about seeing what what sort of yeah. assets you can get. They're, they're talking this draft. I mean, you think last year's draft was so good. The, the suggestions are that this next year's draft is going to be even better. So uh, I'll, I'll believe when I see it because this has been an unbelievable draft class thus far, albeit, you know, a couple of disappointing picks, I think, at the, the top end of the draft. But looking at it from yeah. the, the point of view from the Memphis Grizzlies, you need I, to start loading up on some future assets. I just like to see them do something different, right? Because they seem to be the team that they obviously have a style of play and a style of player they like. They just love to draft these unathletic players like Dylan Brooks, not very athletic. Deontay Davis, you know, nice player from Michigan State, kind of a tweener, not super athletic. Andrew Harrison, you know, yeah, he's a late first, early second pick. He's not an athlete. That's why I was drafted where he was. Ivan Rabb, again, that tweener from California, fell down the draft boards because he's not that athletic. Wayne Selden from Kansas you know, he's the third guard on Grands. is not that athletic and da-da-da. Like, they just, they seem to draft these high IQ non-athletes. And I'm like, you know what? They need a Dennis Smith or a Donovan Mitchell. That's, or an OG Ananobi or, or the Vic Oladipo. So mm-hmm. I just like to see them swing for the fences and, and, and hit one out just for, I don't know, just for a change of pace. Well, just having a look at the Tankathon now, and then we touched on Brooklyn earlier and how much further they can fall down. I guess... The only time, I mean, Utah have been playing well now since since Gobert came back. They're in the 11th spot. I don't expect they're going to make a playoff push or anything, but I don't think they're going to uh, keep losing games at the rate they were when, when Gobert was out. So Touchwood Gobert stays back and uh, they can put some wins there. But I guess the team that could start falling is the Charlotte Hornets because they've put uh, Kemba Walker on the block now. How that will play out. I somehow doubt that he's going to be traded, but what, what's your sort of view on what the market would be for Kemba Walker at this point? And do you think that's the right move for Michael Jordan to be making at this point? I think it'd be an electric market. It'd be enormous market for Kemba Walker. And I, and no, I don't think you should put him out. I just don't think you're going to get value. Not right now. You're just not going to get value. Maybe in the off season or around the draft when teams have, a better handle of their right of their own players and their own finances and their own draft boards that you do that then but you don't you don't do that now well so I, I guess the you... reason for doing it now the argument for doing it now is if you keep Kemba Walker maybe you end up winning 35 yeah, maybe you could even push up the 40 games if you're being really generous to the Hornets if you get rid of him do they might not win another game this year and then you're yeah. in a better position for a draft. So I guess the the trade that you don't see in what the trade is, you might be improving your draft pick by you know eight or nine spots potentially. I just don't subscribe to the Jimmy Butler argument. I think that trade was a fucking disaster and buckle and moronic and still still is. And I think that's the argument you're making is that you know what, so trade your your star at his peak, um, uh, but. Uh, I no, I just, you're not going to get value. You're just not going to get value. 
So I, I just don't see how. Look, I don't. It, it's not impossible a team like Philadelphia could overpay for Kemba. Like, there's not many. There's lots of fits for Kemba, but I go to get value back for Kemba. You need a player and assets, and I go. That's who else? Who has players and assets? Right? Is Phoenix going to give up Devin Booker to get Kemba? No. Um, like, where where are the destinations for Kemba? I genuinely don't know. We, yeah, that's what young, I'm thinking. I, mean, I just don't think yeah. the market's going to be there. Uh, yeah, so I many agree. teams have said that point guard, and you look at the the, the lesser teams, they're not going to want to bring him in and, and up and make their team better for this year. I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's certainly not on the level of Jimmy Butler, and I don't think you were suggesting he was, but certainly he's their best player. And I guess one of the things you're hoping to do is get a good draft pick so you can pick a player that is at that sort of all-star level where Kemba Walker is. So to some extent, but, it doesn't make much sense. <laughs> but I mean, you have to do that in the off-season to do the Jimmy Butler, which I think is still a bad idea. To do it now, it doesn't matter. There's seven games behind Atlanta for tanking, right? And trading Kemba, I go. You still got fucking Dwight Howard who wants to win and play, and Marvin Williams and like and Nick Batum, and you got giant contracts on that team. That well, they want to attack some of the, the the stories. They want to attach some of the bad contracts to Kemba. And but th- that drives down his value then, so That's it's exactly it sort right. of defeats the purpose of doing it That's in, exactly in many right. respects. Yeah. So I, I just think play the season out. If you want to tr- try to staple, no, Dwight has no value. Batum has no. They have no value, right? They're well, that's the problem. Big. He's the only They've, guy with value on the roster, yeah. literally. Yeah. So, but you do it in the off season. It's already too late. Get your number nine draft pick, and but it's too late. You can't. They're not going to catch. They're not going to catch Sacramento. I, my money. So talking about Tankathon, my money is heavy on Sacramento finishing with the worst record. So you got Atlanta there at fourteen and thirty-five, currently, you know, in pole position. Orlando, I have step behind him, but Orlando wants to win. Fournier's trying to prove himself. Gordon's trying to prove himself. Right. You got Alfred trying to prove. They get players playing balls out. Orlando's got enough talent to win games. I think they're trying to win. Sacramento is not trying to win. Fucking Vince Carter outscored Buddy Heald twenty-one to nothing today. That's a fact. <laughs> well, That's not a lie. I don't know. They said they were resting their veterans, and then they come in and played as the Spurs today and played all of their veterans and played them more heavy minutes. So I don't. I got zero idea what's happening there in Sacramento. Uh, Buddy Heald looked like a cat who had his whiskers cut off, like and who lost his vertigo medicine. He didn't know where to be or where to go. I think maybe he was doing magic mushrooms while he played. <laughs> Buddy healed. Oh, my God. So poor Boogie. But that trade is looking more and more lopsided for New Orleans, isn't it? Oh, my God. Buddy healed's terrible. Um, oh, that anyway, seems terrible. To, and that's all about Rattlers. But you agree with my – my money is mark it down, episode 40. Sacramento is going to win – They'll win the number. I don't know about the ping pong balls, but they'll finish with the worst record. Well, this is Which the last you, year they can tank. They don't own their pick uh, next year, so right. next year, oh, I dare they'll be but able to start. Dallas, winning. Phoenix, Memphis, Atlanta, Orlando, Sacramento. I guess I still like Phoenix. Oh, Phoenix are just such a terrible. You know, Phoenix have been the luckiest team in the league. Uh, yeah, yeah. to this point yeah. in terms of close matches and things like that um, they are they are the most pathetic excuse for an NBA team 
I've seen at least Sacramento at different times this year. Like you've seen De'Aaron Fox come out and have moments. Um, you know, even Corley Stein, who didn't play today, who's injured, he's had a couple of moments this year. So you can, and George Hill's actually playing well after a rough start there as well. So they've had a couple of moments of just looking like an NBA team. I have not seen Phoenix look like an NBA team at any stage this year, apart from a few uh, random moments from Dragon Bender, which is pretty much the only game, good game he's played all year. So I think they're just an absolute dumpster fire. I love what Atlanta's doing. Atlanta's been so competitive in a lot of games and then just no, they throw played. it away in the last five minutes. It's just been a perfect tanking season from them. Yes, I know. I know. So my money's still on my money's on Sacramento. Just wait till they trade George Hill for nothing. Wait till I'd love to see Vince Carter end up on a team like the Bucks. Actually, you know, a bit of a veteran presence who could use, um, or even even Philadelphia, who's probably going to make the playoffs. So just I want to get him in some playoff action where he can prove some value. Wait till Sacramento trades Zebo, Vince, and George Hill. That team ain't going to win. They, they they will lose twenty in a row. Well, you're they, right because that's going to be a very very young team then, uh, and it's going to be difficult yeah. for them to get over the hump. So I certainly that's think right. they. I mean then. Phoenix are two games ahead of them at the moment, but they're the two teams I think will really go into free fall in the second half of the year. I don't expect yep. Atlanta to win too many more. Dallas, just by way of Rick Carlisle, they're going to win. They'll be pushing up around the 30 wins, I think, by the end of the season, certainly mid, mid to late 20s. Um, Chicago have played well. There's, there's sort of talk about um, Miritich being traded has died off a little bit. Um, the people saying, oh, they didn't do that badly out of the Jimmy Butler trade, still please. That was an awful trade then. There's an awful trade yeah. now. I don't care yeah. how good Markham plays or, or how good Chris Paul, Chris Dunn looks when he's not knocking himself out after dunks. Um, so, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's going to be one to watch. I, I think it's going to be a very interesting race to that number one because I think there's honestly four teams that I could absolutely see uh, pushing for that for that number one spot uh, in terms of getting the, the ping pong balls uh, at the end of the at well, the end of the season. The team we haven't mentioned is imagine when when Dirk gets slower. <laughs> if that's <laughs> is possible. that possible? He just he literally like drags his limbs down the court, like is clawing with his fingers to get down because both of his legs are failing to respond. So I guess. Dallas is, I think, the most talentless team. Sacramento is just the most idiot team. Orlando, I think, I think you're right. Atlanta and Orlando are going to win a few games. I think they're going to fall from the perch. So I think it's going to be Sacramento, Dallas, Phoenix. Don't you agree? Yeah, I think Atlanta is much better than their record. I've seen them a few times. They're, they're yeah. a reasonable team, but they've just yeah. when Schroeder starts taking over and Bud just sort of sits there and says, "Well, this will this actually suits our plan for the year." At the end of the games, um, and and totally tanks it for them. So yeah. I think they've got a few more wins in them. I, I agree. I think Sacramento, Phoenix, and, and Dallas look, will be the teams. That by look. the same token, there's every every movement because so they could sell off Bazemore and Bellinelli and Ilya Sova, and suddenly you know that's that's forty points again. <laughs> <it> or not, <laughs> that's, just, that's like half their offense, and they could be left with Schroeder and uh, Deadman. So. Anyway, I'm going to go Sacramento. Who's So who's your number? Who's I'll stick pick, with Phoenix. I've been on Phoenix from right. the moment I saw okay. them against Portland on opening night, and, and nothing right. I've seen from them has changed my opinion. Right. They somehow keep keep winning the occasional game. They are 2-8 in their last 10, so they're starting to show the form I expected of them. 
Uh, and I'll know that the annual shutdown of Tyson Chandler will be happening uh, in the next few. And, and Greg Munro is still they're shopping him around as well, yeah, I believe. So let's hope Greg Munro ends up somewhere a little bit more uh, palatable. So we might end as just quickly look forward to a couple of marquee matchups this week. I know the Sixers are at Milwaukee tomorrow, back to back for both teams. That's going to be an interesting well, one to watch. What we're hearing is that it's the first time Joel Embiid is ever going to play a back-to-back. And they are treating this like there's going to be a fucking parade. Like, <laughs> like I'm not joking. First career back-to-back. This is a thing. This makes the news. Yeah. Right? This well. is how fragile this kid is. I'm calling him a kid to be nice. But um, so hopefully Giannis plays because I don't, I don't know if they've played yet. Has Giannis faced Embiid? Did they face each other last year? I don't remember now. I, if, well, if they yeah, did, was, you're testing my memory they, too much. If they did, nobody cared. Yeah. Mm. But um, anyway, that's the big news. Embiid played today, so he's cleared to play tomorrow. So. And then, uh, well, Milwaukee, a couple of big games. They're at Minnesota uh, on Friday. Yeah, big week. That's, big uh, week. that's the weekend. Yeah. Houston play San Antonio. There's a home and home for Houston, San Antonio uh, coming up. So... Oh, that's going to be I'm looking at some, yeah, some, some rematches here where you've got Oklahoma City now going out to Washington. Can they put an, you know, kind of put an early nail in their coffin? Um, Minnesota, Toronto is going to be interesting, um, and then Cleveland again. We'll see if they can literally go. They go to Detroit. I think it's back to back. Yeah, that's right. That's next. That's on our Wednesday, so Tuesday in the U.S. So Cleveland, Detroit. If they can win another one in Detroit, um, you know, Cleveland sort of sets themselves right in Detroit basically puts himself even further out of the playoff conversation and you have to yeah. be wondering what's going on there. So big games in the East. Um, is anyone going to challenge Golden State this week? Uh, well, the Golden State visit Utah. You know, I've always, I'm have i always up for a Utah game, but I can't see Utah getting no, past them either. there. Uh, I'll tell you, it was, it was a pretty good game, uh, Golden State and uh, the, the Celtics. Uh, on the weekend, not sure if you caught much of that, but gee, I was impressed again by the Celtics' defense. They are their offense spluttered for most of the game, to be honest, except for Kyrie. Which one? Golden State, Golden State Boston? at Boston. Yeah, yeah that was on the Boston weekend. Game. Um, and that but the a, discipline of that, the Boston defense, like they just don't make mistakes. They don't, they don't make poor decisions. They don't make mistakes. That team on defense, it's it's quite unbelievable. And Kyrie well, Irving just grows an extra leg when he plays Golden State for whatever reason. Well, I think it's, it's Steph even said it. They just bring out the best of each other. He, Steph was un- unbelievable, and Kyrie was unbelievable-er. They were, that was spectacular. Yeah, I forgot about that game. Mm. So Steph, Steph was unbelievable. Steph looked like MVP. Right? Oh, he was brilliant, and and he got off to a bit of a slow start too, and then he just started hitting shots oh. and. Ended up yeah. with forty six, I think, or forty six or forty seven. So, hit some free throws down the stretch, but. Unbelievable. So yeah, I Shot can't making. believe we spend all this time talking about the the drama and the dregs and the the franchises falling apart. And if if KD wasn't such a it rhymes with runt, <laughs> if he wasn't such a runt, um, you'd want to cheer for Steph Curry because my God, he in that game I was actually believe it or not, I had it on mute because I was doing some work and had the TV on, so I'm actually watching it without the audio and just watching Steph without the bullshit announcers, it's just, he does things on the court. Well, how's the, the degree of oh. difficulty on the shots that they were forcing oh. him to take, and he was still oh. making them? Well, so. I could say the same thing for Kyrie, too. I mean, this, you scoop-de-doop, 
left-handed, you know, over the head, his, you know, the Kyrie shots, which are like, they make DeMar DeRozan shots look like, you know, free throws. Well, that was the difference, so, really. Kyrie didn't shoot enough. He was 13 or 17. He didn't. Really, yeah. to me, he should have shot the ball 24 times. And that's yeah. that's rare to say in today's NBA that players should be shooting more. But it was a game where I felt like he probably could have taken over even more. Hey, high-quality game, though, right? So I'm glad you reminded me of that. I go, so if the finals, if that becomes the NBA finals, look, I think I think Boston will give a fight. I don't think they have nearly – they just can't outscore Golden State. So their defense is going to have to go to the next level. And they're going to need – they're just going to need more from, like, the Roziers and Marcus Smarts to have it, like, offensively. Like, you want those guys playing defense, you know, 20 minutes a game, but they're just going to need some points. Well, it does make you think how, how good they're going to be when Haywood's available. Uh, but it also showed me I think it's going to be a much more entertaining final series if it is Boston or if it is even Toronto uh, ahead of what we're seeing from the Cavs this year. Uh, but I still feel like the real finals are going to be when Houston Gold State meet in the Western Conference Finals, which at this stage seems a little bit inevitable unless we see some sort of resurrection from the Spurs uh, post-All-Star yeah. break. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting games. Looks like there's Toronto again has some good matchups this week. So they've got... Yeah, they go on the road. Bit of a West Coast trip for them. They go to oh, Portland. I'm looking ahead to the next week. they got Washington and Portland. That's right back-to-back. That's um, that's some interesting on matchups. On that post-Minnesota. And Minnesota. That's the other one. Thank you. Washington, Portland, Minnesota. So interesting, interesting week for Toronto. That was the other news, I guess, um, we didn't talk about. Maybe we'll touch on and see if anything happens. But, you know... Um, Dame Lillard having a sit down with the owner Paul Allen kind of send some ripples through Portland and what's that mean and you know what's it mean for CJ getting traded and that sort of stuff so maybe it's a yeah I thought that was a bit of noise I thought that was just noise to be honest yeah but yeah you do that for no good reason though right he's getting restless you know he's and these guys are so supremely competitive and he sees what's happening around him and you know they're getting passed by and so he just kind of maybe was he was doing a check-in, wasn't he? he was like, where are we at? What's what's happening? So yeah, no, I don't think that's unhealthy for the no. star player to sit yeah. down with, no. with, uh, maybe with not. management. Maybe not. So I don't think it's that unusual. So uh, I think it was just a well. I was nearly going to say it was a slow news day, but it was anything but because it was the same day that Jason Kidd got fired, and I think the Kawhi news came out, and the Kevin Love team meeting. So it was hardly so, a slow news day. My last thing. We'll, we'll keep it short. We won't go on. Sorry, I'm going to fake host. Who is your, just your one coach, who's your coach on the hottest seat now that kid is gone? Who's who's the hottest seat for you? I'm Mark D'Antoni. Has to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you, I think, 75%. Yeah. I'll tell you what, what I saw from Sacramento today, if they're not looking at Dave Yeager, they're not oh. doing their due diligence because they, they are just, they are so atrocious. Oh, yeah. It's not funny. So I think you've got to look down at that... Um, and, yeah. and, I, and I, to be honest, I don't think Luke Walton's safe at the Lakers either. Um, I think if they go on another losing streak, I think the Mike, the Microsoft's going to go on him very quickly as well. That's not bad. I'm going to go with... This is a new one. I can't believe I'm saying it, but it's just a bit of kind of a recent... If you just if you double-click on it, I might say Hornacek, right? He's a Phil Jackson guy. You know, Zinger's underperforming. The team isn't winning. You know, they're not shooting three-pointers. There's nothing, you know, there's just nothing modern or he's got no glimpses of his seven seconds or less, you know, sort of, you know, Dan Tony sort of training that just, 
and the East has been a bit weak and it hasn't done anything. I just wonder, I wonder if Hornacek is on, on borrowed time. So I'll go Hornacek number one, Jaeger close number two. I'll go Jaeger then, um, then uh, Luke Walton, and they'll still think SVG if they don't if they don't come out of this tailspin. Given that he's the one that generally built the roster, uh, I think he could find himself on the scrap heap as well. All right, Daz, we might leave there, mate. We knew we were going to talk a little bit of time tonight. There was so much to cover, but uh, it's it's been good to catch up and sort of scratch that itch of of discussing NBA after a couple of weeks off. So we'll see. uh, No doubt next week we'll be right in the midst of of the trade chatter. We'll probably spend a bit more time looking at trade deadline news and and assessing some of the rumours, maybe even one or two trades that has come out. We didn't even talk about the All-Star game tonight, so we'll probably have a look at the the All-Star game. I don't know how much time you want to spend on it. Well, LeBron says he is taken seriously this year, but I'll believe it when I see it is all I'd say about that. So... um, uh, but we'll, we'll leave it there for tonight, Daz. Have a good week, mate, and uh, we'll talk to you again same time next week. Travel well. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, mate. Bye.